You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good evening, brothers and sisters in the Metro LA region and throughout the LA Church. My name is Doug Weber, and it's been my privilege to serve as one of our elders for a number of years here in LA. And I also work as a physician, and over the last several months, it's been my pleasure and privilege to work with the MLC of the church, the Ministry Leadership Council, as we've discussed issues related to a number of very important issues, primarily relating to the COVID-19 epidemic as it relates to us as brothers and sisters in the LA church. And we've been talking and discussing and praying and considering all of the issues. And tonight we wanted to talk for a few moments about that. But as well, in light of some of the recent events here in Los Angeles, throughout the country, and even around the world, with relations to some of the violence that's taken place, we wanted to also share a few thoughts with you. So as we get started, let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your mercy and your kindness. We thank you so much for Jesus and just for the opportunity to be one of your children in your kingdom. And God, I pray tonight that you're with us. Father, you bring us uh, your Holy Spirit as we discuss and have wisdom with respects to reopening the church. But even more so, God, tonight we, we ask and beg your, your spirit to be with us and guide us and help us and strengthen us and comfort us as many of our hearts are torn and ripped apart and broken over the events over the last several weeks and months. God, please be with us. Thank us. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you for being our great God and Father. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First, I just wanted to talk tonight about some of the keys to safely and successfully reopening the church for in-person services. As I mentioned, that's been one of the topics that we've been considering and leading up to, and then even with the order last week by our governor that uh, now uh, churches were uh, op- were were eligible to be opened or reopened for in-person services. Uh, it, it caused us to really take pause and to really consider uh, where we'll go as a church at this time. So with that being said, first I want to talk about several keys, uh, being considerate, being aware, being thoughtful and prayerful, and being wise and thorough in planning and preparation. And so in Philippians uh Chapter two, verse three, the Bible says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You know, as of today, a Sunday when we're filming this, the COVID-19 epidemic and pandemic has claimed over 102,000 lives in the United States. That is amazing. That is unbelievable. And it's tragic. That number represents more deaths lost to U.S. citizens than occurred through the Vietnam War, Pearl Harbor, and 9-11. Just to think about that, it's unbelievable. The amazing thing, even as a physician I can relate to, is that those who who have died and, and, and many who are dying right now are oftentimes dying alone. And think of just what this experience is like, not only for them, but for their loved ones, because of the infectious nature of this epidemic and this disease, uh, many of those who are coming towards the end of life, who would normally, in a a normal circumstance, have their loved ones surrounding them to be able to say goodbye. 
that is not oftentimes possible because of this. And then even the aftermath, as they grieve the loss of their loved one, the funerals uh, oftentimes are not able to happen to the degree that they would. And so it's, it's, it's a tragic experience for so many involved. What, we, what else do we know about the epidemic? Well, the, the amazing thing was found that it, when we discovered that it wasn't just the symptomatic who were spreading the virus, but it was the asymptomatic. What we know is the incubation period for the virus and for an infection is upwards of 14 to 15 days. But we, what, we, what we now understand is the first four to five days up to the fifth day, before even symptoms start, uh, once one has been exposed, can be sometimes where more, more viral particles are spread. And so one is even considered at that time even more contagious, even prior to the onset of symptoms, which makes this so dangerous. But what we do know and what we have understood is that physical distancing and face coverings do work. What we do know is in studies that were done between March and April, what we saw the prevalence of the infection if it was still spreading and through community spread, it should have been going up. If anything, it was coming down a little bit. So what we believe is that the measures that have been taken that were instituted through our public health departments have worked. But there is a real concern about the resurgence due to reopening. Once we open things up, once people are out and about, more so rather than being sheltered in, they're coming into more contact with with one another and therefore greater opportunity for the virus to spread. And so that's a real concern, not only in the general public, but for us in the church, where churches are considered potentially higher risk uh, environments because of the type of contact that we often have, oftentimes indoors as well. And so it brought to, to bear the need for us to be wise by submitting to the governmental guidelines that were issued last week to help us if, in fact, we choose to reopen. And so that's really the key issue. Do we choose to reopen? Because we're not obligated to reopen to in-person services. It, it needs to be on the table as a consideration. And so the issue is we made a decision months ago as a church leadership that we would submit to the governmental authorities in the spirit of Romans chapter 13, because we believe, as the scripture says, that the governmental guidelines are of God, and mentions in that passage that uh, there's a conscience issue. Could we imagine what would happen if we were not to follow the guidelines in reopening and somewhere to be, someone were to be injured or, or, or become sick or die? Uh, that would weigh terribly not only on our consciences, but it would obviously have a tremendous effect on those lives and the lives of those loved ones. But because of possible punishment, there are possible fines associated with not following guidelines in a situation like this. And so we wanted to be very thoughtful, very, very prayerful. We considered uh, Nehemiah, who we understood, even after God put out in his heart to rebuild Jerusalem and the walls, took four months before he approached the king, who then allowed him to go back from Babylon to Jerusalem. And he was even there three days. So there was so much time for thought, thoughtful prayer regarding his next steps and what would be done and not done. Proverbs 16, verse nine, the Bible says in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their, their steps. So first and foremost, we really believe that we needed to be prayerful. We needed to be seeking God as a leadership at globally as a congregation, and even locally as to what our next steps should be. And that's what we have done. But we really felt like we needed to seek input from one another 
as well as additional sources, and seeking input from, from all of you as members. And so if in many of our ministries, we are going back and, and surveying and asking you what your thoughts are. But what we realize is that, and we, what we want to impress on so many of you who may not be as aware, is that there's a complexity to reopening. The reopening of our church buildings is far more complex than closing them ever was. We were able to close very, very quickly once we understood the potential harm. And yet, what we realize is reopening is so much more complex, as I'll allude to in just a moment. The past for us as congregation has a nostalgia that the future never does, but the future is what we're called to go into and what as leaders we're called to lead our people into. And so it's something that we want to impress on you is something that's very, very important where we need to be prayerful as we move forward, because the future is where we're going. And so as we're wise and thorough in our planning, what we realize is how well we prayerfully plan and prepare will likely determine our success. And so whatever we do, we need to be making sure that we're being prayerful, we're being very thoughtful, we're preparing the way that we're being guided to prepare, and then weighing whether or not the risks and the benefits. We've got to outweigh, we've got to look and see, are the, did the benefits outweigh the risks as opposed to how we've been going about things to this point? Realizing that success in reopening to in-person services will be measured by large in part by meaningful in-person services that are done with safety with the goal to avoid transmission of the virus so that we're not harmed in the process. And so with that being said, I just briefly want to mention a few key things that I want to make you aware of. I can't go into the details, but the guidelines that came out last week were very, very detailed and very, very specific as far as expectations for any church that would decide to reopen the in-person services. Number one, these plans involved formulating a plan. There was a checklist. There were over 50 specific items that must be followed to the T in order for a church, according to the public health department, to, re to reopen the in-person services. So there would be a protocol for places of worship with a specific guideline where the place of worship would only have a capacity 25% of what the capacity is of the building, or 100, whichever is lower. And so what we realized it would mean is far fewer people would be able to meet together if we chose to reopen for in-person services. Not only that, but first and foremost, those who are considered staff, those who are employees, those who would be working, even as volunteers, there'd be workplace policies and practices to protect their health. Next, there would be measures to ensure physical distancing in the building. There would need to be markings. There would need to be spaces where, with rows marked, seats marked. Uh, individuals would need to stay in place. They'd need to enter through one exit uh, entrance and, and exit through a different entrance. And so these types of things, they'd be able to go back and forth um, within marked aisles and rows, but not cross one another's paths. Things to con continue to maintain uh, and safeguard physical uh, distancing. But measures to ensure infection control. Uh, a lot of disinfectants of, of different services uh, and, and making sure that the screenings were done as individuals would come in. Uh, they need to be screened for temperatures. There'd be signage uh, notifying everyone who is here of the specific requirements, specifically regarding physical distancing and other measures that would need to be taken place. 
There need to be training of the congregation, of the staff to all make this come together uh, in a righteous way. And there'd be measures to ensure particularly those who are vulnerable. I mean, <clears throat> we needed to make sure that we considered everyone in the spirit of, of Philippians chapter two. We needed to make sure that we were considering uh, the vulnerable for those who have underlying health conditions. We need to make sure we, that we were taking into effect, uh, into consideration uh, those individuals in our fellowship who are really eager to meet together in, in, in person. And we needed to make sure that in the same time we're being considerate to those who are not eager to meet in person. We need to make sure that we're being considerate to the children. Um, in this new in-person scenario, the, the children would not be able to meet as their typical children's ministry. And so what we realized we needed to foster a whole spirit of considering others better than ourselves in that and looking not only to what my interests might be, but to also to the interests of my brothers and sisters. So hopefully that is very helpful for you to understand the whole process that we've gone through and the considerations that we would need to make as region, regional churches in reopening or sector churches in reopening. And so really counting the cost as far as a benefit risk perspective is concerned. And now moving on. A few thoughts that I have related to healing and rebuilding. These are just a few thoughts that I have. I know that there's so many of you who have similar thoughts and ideas and feelings and emotions. Over last week, the events in Minneapolis with the murder of George Floyd. And right here we have a depiction of some of the family members who were just heartbroken over their tragic loss. And I wanted to just take a few moments to talk about how that relates to us in the LA church. A few thoughts that we need to have is number one, remembering the fallen and now the pain of their loved ones. You know, right now there's so much unrest and anger. There are riots and protests. Businesses are being harmed and those are extremely concerning. It should be concerning to particularly in the aftermath and the midst of this whole COVID-19 epidemic and the economic losses. But first and foremost, I believe as Christians, you need to realize that a life was lost and it, it lost and it's unconscionable to, as we see the images and I hadn't seen them initially and later I did and I realized, oh my goodness, I, this is unbelievable. It's unconscionable. It's tragic. It's inhumane. It's egregious. It's hearing this man stating I can't breathe and calling for his mother. In the aftermath of his death, there's the outcry for a struggle for justice, a fight for empathy for the unnecessary deaths of too many people of color recently and over the last several years. And this is just sort of the tip of the iceberg. Many are angry within communities of color and outside of communities because so many of you are heartbroken, upset, tired, wearied. And we realize that this is not just a simply a black white issue. It's a right and wrong issue. And so first and foremost, let us pray for the family of George Floyd. 
for those who grieve his loss, his brothers, his siblings, his, his mother, his daughter, to think about seeing your loved one, your father, your son, die on television in such a brutal way with onlookers and at the hands of individuals who could have intervened and nothing was done. But for many of us in the church, it goes far beyond that. I think even for myself, last night, I was just stunned as I looked at the television, saw the unrest. It took me personally back to a place many years ago at my age that I don't like remembering because I remember the riots of the 60s. I remember my mother as a child coming in and telling me Dr. King was assassinated. I remember, and I, I remember the tears. I remember the pain. I remember those types of thoughts. I remember a sense of where are we as a country. And I think for many of us, times like this, it, it hurts. For many of us who are even younger, who've had siblings, relatives, who've been influenced by brutality, who've lost individuals, loved ones, particularly in our communities of color and our African-American brothers and sisters, it's so, so vitally important that we're aware of these types of things. Again, it's not a black-white issue. It becomes a right or wrong issue. You know, as it relates to just where do we go, I think it, it's important for us as a body of Christ to dialogue with one another and to listen to one another, to seek to understand what one's experience is. And even when something like this happens, how it affects one individual, perhaps in a different way than others. A few thoughts related to healing and rebuilding. I have a, a picture here of an individual who's in a hospital bed. Oftentimes, in individuals who cannot move for long, prolonged periods of time, they develop what are known as the cubitus ulcers, also, we know of, know of them as bed sores, and oftentimes they occur in places like the back of the heels, the sacrum in the back, the shoulders, the elbows, because individuals are doing something they wouldn't normally do, which is stay in a position with pressure over a long period of time. And what can actually happen in those areas is they develop wounds because of the constant pressure, the skin actually breaks down. And so a wound opens. And it actually takes oftentimes, once that occurs, a lot of care, a lot of attention, and a lot of time to help heal those types of wounds. Oftentimes, for many of us who over a period of time develop these types of wounds in our lives, it can be like a ripping open again of some painful wounds. A ripping open when you see a police officer, police officer kneeling on the neck of an innocent, inhuman human being who happens to be of your same color. You realize that could be my brother. That could be my son. That could be my father who's out there. And it brings back very painful memories of maybe even similar but unrelated types of events. It takes me back to opening a wound when I think about the times that, hey, as in high school, in college, I was called the N-word. Or times in my past when I had to sit down and see the pain and the tears in my father's 
eyes as he talked about what he went through economically and discriminatory wise in his lifetime, even pre-civil rights. And so it takes you back to these painful times that perhaps some of us who've not had the same background, they don't have those types of wounds. And so those wounds are not reopened in the same way. And so I think it's important for us to be able to dialogue as brothers and sisters. You know, it's interesting, even the Bible talks about the effects of sin for generations. In Exodus 20, verse 5, and Exodus 34, um, uh, Exodus chapter 34, verse 7, we see that the effects of sin can go on for generations. In Esther chapter 3, verse 6, it's interesting, there's a man named Haman, he was elevated as a noble in Persia by King Xerxes. But he was also a descendant of King Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites. And the interesting thing about the situation was his descendant, King Agag, was killed. And as a part of the rebellion of his people to God, they were totally wiped out. But Haman, now 500 years later, when he was elevated to this, to this role, and had influence over the Jews who were then there in Persia. It says, when Haman in verse 6 saw them, that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout whom, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. There was a tremendous amount of racism that was involved in that situation. And so what we see is that the effects could last for many, many years. And they can be healed, but like that sore, it takes attention, it takes time, it takes care. And that's what we need oftentimes from one another, particularly when the scab has been pulled off. So what can we do? Number one, I believe as disciples, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He said we need to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. When he said, you know, in Luke chapter 10, well, who is our neighbor? Of course, there's that great story about the man who went down from uh, Jericho to Jerusalem. And on his path, he was caught by robbers. And he was beaten and bludgeoned. And there he just lay by the sideway. And, you know, a Levite, a a priest, they went, saw him and just went by, it says, on the other side. They didn't get involved. But a Samaritan, the Bible says, took pity on him. And when he took pity on this man who had been beaten and bludgeoned, he got involved. He poured oil on his wounds. He bandaged them, took him on his donkey brought him to an inn. He took care of him. And Jesus said, which of the three do you believe was a neighbor to that man who had been beaten? Of course, the answer was the Samaritan. Oftentimes in the church, we have not gotten involved because we have been concerned about becoming, quote, too political in situations like that. But I believe those times need to to change. We realize that even as Paul alluded to his citizenship in Acts 22 to avoid a flogging that could have killed him, what he believed prior to his time, he appealed to his Roman citizenship and that saved him during that particular time. 
We are U.S. citizens. And this is a country that's by the people, for the people, and of the people, as Abraham Lincoln said. And even as we consider our role in a scheme, in the grand scheme of things, we need to be praying for reform. We need to be praying for change. We need to be praying for greater accountability. And yes, we do need to pray for justice. The Bible talks about justice and the need for justice. So as we pray for God's grace, we need to be truthful, brothers and sisters, about where we are as individuals in all of this, because we are God's people. And he calls us to be there for one another. Yes, to consider others better than ourselves and to look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others, but to be considerate towards one another, particularly during these difficult times. For those of us who particularly have those wounds from the past that are opened up because of what has happened, not only with George Floyd, but with Breonna Taylor, with Armad Aubrey and the situation those uh, occur, that occurred recently as well. We need to remember that we are God's people and we are family to one another. You know, in John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prayed for the unity of his people, that we would be one with him and the Father, which is unbelievably amazing. What an incredible privilege. But understanding that our unity, whether black, Asian, American, Pacific Islander, white, Latino, our unity would be our testimony to the world. So we need to pray to understand one another with respect to racial pain, to understand the wounds that some of us have from the past, but not to judge one another, that we're not race baiting if we share our feelings and thoughts. At the other time, it's not that we're indifferent or unloving if we don't fully understand because of our perspective and our background. We need to help one another understand this is an important dialogue for us to take a step forward. But this should be a turning point for the world to change at this time, not only towards legal reforms. And yes, we can perhaps do our part and get more involved and be more concerned and be more aware of some of these pertinent issues, which, which do make an important and a very vital part of the of the uh, piece of the puzzle in these situations. But as the body of Christ, our testimony to the world needs to be one of a deep love and unity that we have amongst one another. We don't have time together tonight to get into this, but in Romans chapter 14 and Romans chapter 15, you can read about how the Bible 
And the scriptures really make the appeal to us not to judge one another, to accept one another, to be at peace with one another when it comes to having different opinions and different perspectives and different backgrounds on disputable matters. These can become some of the disputable matters. Not that what we saw last week was disputable. That was bigotry. That was racism. That was sin. That was inhumane. That was criminal. That's what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is oftentimes our reaction and how we feel and how passionate some of us are or are not are about these types of issues. Let us bear with one another. Let us not judge one another. Let us be patient with one another. Let's accept one another. That's what Romans 14 and 15 talks about is talks about. But let us be the body of Christ where we love one another deeply from the heart enough to listen to one another. And that's a great start. You know, one of the people that I really appreciate so much, it's one of my prayer partners now is Dr. Michael Steffen in Lifeway Ministry. And so we pray a couple times a week and we started this dialogue and we're very different. He's a white brother. I'm black. We're both physicians. So we relate to one, but we've been just praying for the church. We've been praying for our families. We've been praying for our marriages. We're praying for the people we're reaching out to. But we love one another. We started the dialogue of just talking about this particular issue. And it was awesome. <laughs> and I hope I can learn a lot from him and he can learn a lot from me as well. I believe that's what we've got to do more so in the church is sitting down. Though these conversations may be awkward, though they may be uncomfortable, let us bear with one another. Let's talk to one another and start a dialogue where we can become even more unified, more powerful, and have even a greater testimony to the world. So I hope these thoughts helped you tonight as we just talked a little bit about the events of the last several weeks and months, but also as we talked about the COVID-19 epidemic and just where we're going and our thoughts are. So please pray for us as a leadership. Let us all pray together that God's will will be done. Thank you and God bless you. Have a good night. Thank you for your intention and your time. Good night. Good evening, everybody. I want to, first of all, just thank Doug for uh, just the leader that he is, the man of God that he is, and for the direction that he has provided for our region. Uh, and not only just our region, but also for the LA church and even has been a voice in our fellowship. And I'm so grateful for Doug and Joanne and, and the leadership they provide and the direction they provide. They asked me to add a couple of questions at the end of the, of his presentation for, for tonight's discussion groups. So here, here they are. And then I, I'm going to end with giving you George Floyd's uh, address so that if you would like to write a card to his family um, and encourage them, you may do so. So, uh, so I'm I'm literally reading this um, uh, verbatim, and um, here it is. So tonight, we hope you can feel that your small group is a safe place. In your small group, we want you to be able to share your true feelings, especially how you are feeling personally about the things that are going on now in America. Please share your real and true feelings. You will not be judged. Feel free to express anger, hurt, pain, disappointment, despair, hope, or whatever, uh, if it applies. Please listen to each other and empathize by trying to put yourself in your brother or sister's shoes. All feelings are valid 
and we want to hear and better understand one another's feelings and emotions to help support one another. So, so we want you to have a time of sharing. Um, and then, uh, the next thing is, um, the next question is what, what do you think the church's role should be to address some of these issues? Or maybe you have some ideas. It'd be great if the church did this. It'd be great if the church did that. Um, we would love to hear those ideas. We are searching for ways to meet the needs as a leadership team. Uh, we love you guys. We're family. We want to make sure that all the needs of the family are met, you know, and particularly with these social injustice issues in our community. And, and lastly, um, we just want to remind everybody, and this is all Doug's writing, but I'm Doug and I are, you know, we're in the same heart about these things. Um, Ephesians 4, 2 through 3 says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And, uh, that's our direction from the Lord as we talk and as we share. And uh, it's really just listen to each other with loving hearts and ears and be able to encourage one another and strengthen each other through these very difficult times. And uh, lastly, um, here is the address uh, for George Floyd's family, care of Ben Crump Law, PLCC, 122 uh, S. Calhoun Street, Tallahassee, Florida, 32301. Attention, Adner Marcellin. Okay, it's on the screen. We'll also send this out with the bulletin and, and some more things. Here's some more things I want to send out to the region, but I will include this address as well in case you didn't get a chance to get it right now. Again, thank you, Doug, for a great, great, great discussion, a great lesson sharing all that. And let's have a great discussion time together and encourage each other with love and, and, and support. Good night, everybody. You've just listened to the Metro LA podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com 